say this is a little different for all of us, but it's going to be okay. And so uh, I want to lead us in a prayer. I got this from Foursquare Missions Press, and it's praying the scripture. So it's kind of long, but there's a lot of wonderful things here, and I want you to just agree along with me. Father, your word says in 1 John 5:14, we have courage in God's presence because we are sure that he hears us if we ask him for anything that is according to his will. He hears us whenever we ask him, and since we know this is true, we know also that he gives us what we ask for from him. So I am praying directly for, from your word, the Bible, so that I know I am praying according to your will. Therefore, you will hear me and answer my prayers. Your word says in Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So I refuse to be anxious or worried about anything. I choose rather to pray about everything and to make all of my requests to you with thanksgiving. And I am thanking you in faith that you will keep these promises to me. And your word says in 2 Timothy 1, 7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. So I thank you, Lord, that I do not and will not have a spirit of fear, but of power of love and a sound mind. Your word also says in Isaiah 41.10, Do not be afraid. I am with you. I am your God. Let nothing terrify you. I will make you strong and help you. I will protect you and save you. So in the name of Jesus, I will not be afraid because you are with me. You are my God. So nothing will terrify me. You will make, the strong, make me strong and you will help me. And regardless what happens, you will protect me and save me. And your word says in Psalms 46, 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth may be moved, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. Therefore, I thank you that you are my refuge and my strength, and you are a very present help in trouble. Even if the whole earth is removed, and even if every mountain is thrown in the ocean, I refuse to hear. Your word says in Isaiah 54, 17, No weapon formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue which rises against you in judgment shall, you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. So I declare in the name of Jesus that no weapon formed against me shall prosper, that every tongue and every negative word that disagrees with your promises to me, and every word that rises against me to judge me, I condemn and cast down. Such words will not come to pass. This divine protection is part of my inheritance as a servant of the Lord. And my righteousness, my worthiness to have this protection comes from you because you are the final authority. Your word also says in Luke 10, 19, Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing shall by any means hurt you. So I thank you, Lord. You give me the authority to use the name of Jesus to trample on serpents and scorpions, every kind of evil spirit, and over all the power of the enemy. Because of that, nothing shall by any means hurt me. And your word says in Isaiah 53 that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. God saw him out. And that's what I'd like to focus on. Not the fact that they were hiding, but the fact that he saw them out. Yes. Isn't that cool to know that God sought him out? He didn't say, you bunch of worthless slobs, I'm giving up on you because you messed up. He sought him out. He said, where are you? 
Man, that's good because God wants us to know. He wants to dwell among us. He wants to be our God. He wants to be right here with us. And all throughout history, he's been revealing that through Scripture in multiple ways. He's been showing us over and over and over again how he wants to be our God and we are supposed to be his people. It's a pretty cool thing to realize that God, the King, and the Creator of the entire universe chooses to want to come down here and Eve and Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and now we talk about Moses. And tonight we're going to talk about the we're going to talk about the tabernacle. And the tabernacle was specifically an arrangement that God said, because I want to dwell among you, I'm going to fix this so that I can come down and actually dwell among you. So in Exodus 29, verse 42 through 46, it says, This shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generation at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord, where I will meet you to speak with you. And there I will meet with the children of Israel. The tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. So I will consecrate the tabernacle of meeting and the altar, and I will also consecrate both Aaron and his sons to minister to me as priests. And I will dwell among the children of Israel, and I will be their God, and they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them up out of the land of Egypt, that I may dwell among them, and I am the Lord their God. God was pretty, he's pretty thorough. He said it over and over again. He said, I'm going to be their God. I'm going to dwell among them. I'm going to be their God. I'm going to dwell among them. I'm going to be their God. But he wants us to understand that he wants to be our God. He wants to dwell among us. He went to all that trouble to tell Moses how to build this tabernacle so that it would be a dwelling place for him so that he could come. But the problem is, just like with Adam and Eve, sin is our problem. Sin creates a separation. It breaks fellowship with God. And so, we have a problem with sin, but God has a solution. And the solution is the blood. It's always been the blood. And so uh, when, you, when you read this the other day, we read uh, last Sunday, we talked about uh, Moses and the, the 70 elders and, and uh, Aaron and Nadab and Abihu. They all went up on the mountain to meet with God. But before they did, they did some sacrifice and they took the blood and they sprinkled it on the altar and they sprinkled it on all the people and they sprinkled it on the book of the covenant. They sprinkled blood everywhere because it's the blood that gives you the ability to come in the presence of God. And so God told Moses how to build this tabernacle. And basically, it was this big rectangular area. It wasn't all that big, really. Um, I don't know, I didn't really pay attention, but it's probably a 50 by 100 or something. It's not that big. But but he told them how to build it in such a way that it was portable. And so around the whole complex, which was called the temple complex or the tabernacle, it had um, these posts, kind of like these flagpoles. They had a base on them, wood poles, and they had uh, curtains made out of different things. They had these ropes and hooks and all this stuff. And boy, they could they could put it together and they could take it down and they could pack it up and they could move. And then when God the cloud would stop, they would stop and they'd put it all back up. And uh, and they could worship for a day or a week or six months or however long. And then God says, "Time to move." The cloud or the pillar would move, and they'd pack. He wanted to be with us. He wanted to dwell with us. But he recognized that we still got this sin problem. And so he couldn't just come and be right there with us because we'd just die. We, we can't be in the presence of a holy God without having our sin covered. 
and sin taken away. And so he built, uh, had him build this tabernacle. And so it's very, I mean, it was down to every little piece and part and all these different materials and things that they use. And it's, um, you could probably, you could probably teach for weeks about all the different parts and pieces of the tabernacle and, and what they all mean. I don't really want to go into that much depth. I just want to point out a few things. That I, and I've told you before that God wants us to understand him. He wants us to understand about our relationship with him. He wants us to understand how we can know him and how he wants to relate to us. And so he gives us over and over and over again, different ways. He tells us about, you know, that he's the farmer and we're the field or that he's the shepherd and we're the sheep or that he's, you know, the builder and we're the building. I mean, just over and over. And he talks to us about being, uh, you know, farmers and ranchers and business people and priests and singers and worshipers and everything imaginable. Jesus told stories about everything. And they were all for the purpose of helping us understand the nature of God so that when when we see God, we would see him as he is, not in some perverted way, and we would misunderstand his nature. That was the problem with the children of Israel. They didn't understand the nature of God, and so they were afraid of him. Now, God says, you know, have fear of the Lord, but he doesn't mean like you should just be shaking in your boots, afraid to even come near him. When God invites you to come near you need to know he's not going to kill you when he's invited you to come near Now, if, you, if you're okay with God, he resists pride. And so as long as he is inviting us, we can come boldly and confidently right into his very presence because he's made a way for us to do that. Now, you got to have the blood applied. But if he's inviting you to come, then he's making a way for you. So it's a, it's a great offer. This tabernacle, it had a, um, the outer court, which uh, was where anybody that was an Israelite could come to the outer court. Uh, they could come there, they could do their sacrifices. Um, so there was this altar of burnt offering. And um, the altar was, was so they could put their sacrifice on it and it would be totally consumed, burned up, gone. And that was that was significant because that's what our lives are supposed to be. When we give ourselves to the Lord, we are like a burnt offering. I mean, we are supposed to give ourselves fully to him and he's supposed to consume us. And he doesn't just, you know, dissolve us and we're gone, but, but we become in him who he means for us to be. And Jesus... Did that, you know, he gave himself as the as the sacrifice. He gave himself for us. So the altar of burnt offering, it speaks of the entirety of the sacrifice. And also, it really is the starting place for everybody to be able to draw near. You're not going to draw near the Lord without some blood being shed. That's the only way it's going to happen. And then the next thing was in the outer court was uh, the bronze labor, which was kind of like a it was like a fancy bird bath, you know, those concrete bird baths that, uh, you know, it's kind of like this, it was made of bronze, had water in it, the priests and different ones, they could use that water to wash their hands. God wants us to be clean uh, spiritually. And so he used water so that, that we had a way to relate to that. We could see it with our eyes, we could experience it with our hands, and we understand. That's why 
That's basically part of the reason why we do water baptism. It's so that we can understand that this is part of that process of being washed and cleansed by the, by the blood of the Lamb. And, uh, and God wants us to be set apart and sanctified. He doesn't want us to come in with dirty, grimy hands, start touching all, all of his holy stuff. I mean, it doesn't work that way. He wants us to be to be sanctified and set apart. If we're going to serve the Lord, we can't just be like everybody out in the world. We're supposed to be different. And that doesn't mean you're perfect, but you need to be striving to follow the Lord and, and do what he's called you to do and who he's called you to be. And then inside this outer area is called the inner court, and that was a, a smaller area, but it had a curtain across there, and there was a, a gate, and so inside that area, there was a table, kind of like this table, because it was made out of really special wood and covered with, with uh, gold. I mean, all these things were made out of really particular materials. So there was a table and it had showbread on it. And the showbread was, was made fresh every day in the place. And you could, you could talk about that for weeks probably, but I'm just going to say that the Lord did that so that we would understand that he is our sustenance. He is our daily bread, our daily sustenance. That's, he is the bread from heaven. Jesus was. He gave us manna from heaven. And, uh, and he wants us to understand that he will provide for us and take care of us. And it's going to be new and fresh every day. But we need to, you know, we need to rely on him. It's not in our own strength. It's in, it's in his provision. Then there was... Um, the golden candlestick, and it was a pretty fancy thing. It had, uh, had all these, you know, different bills sticking out, there, and it was all uniform. They were, had, they were shaped in a meticulous fashion, hammered gold and brass and bronze and all these different things, and they had the 12 candles, and it spoke of the 12 tribes of Israel. But it's really, it's really speaking of the light, the fact that God is light, and in him there is no darkness. And when we are in him, there's no light in us either. And so when, when these priests would go into this inner area, they would be reminded every time they would see the, the table of the bread, the living bread, their daily sustenance, life itself. And they would see the light and they'd say, yeah, that's who God is. He is the light. And that's who I'm supposed to be. And then they go over to the, the altar of incense. <clears throat> and it was supposed to stay burning all the time. Never go out. 24 hours a day, all around the altar of incense. And so it was this sweet-smelling incense, and it was it was always going up to the Lord. And that incense, it was a, it was a worship, and it was prayer to the Lord. And it was that was why they did it, so that they could understand this is how it's supposed to be. We're supposed to be worshiping God all the time. Our life is supposed to be living worship. And in Revelation, multiple times. It talks about in heaven, you know, John sees this and he said, there was this golden bowl full of incense and it was going up and he said, that's the prayers of the saints. And so the incense, it's our, it's our worship to the Lord and our prayers. And God, God wants us to worship and pray. And he holds on to that stuff. You know, it's not just, you know, just go in and out. It says he, he keeps all of our tears in a bottle. And he, and he hears our prayers, and he's hanging on to that stuff. It's not, you know, we think something didn't get answered because we don't see the answer, but, you know, it doesn't just go in one ear and out the other. But God, he, he holds all those things. 
be keeping all the prayers of the saints in these golden bowls, and they're like they're like incense to him, and he's he's enjoying that because it pleases him that we're praying and we're worshiping. That's what we're supposed to do. That's going on all the time in heaven. And we think we're we're doing good when we sing four or five songs and get excited, but just think about the fact that heaven is always worshiping 24-7. And then there was another another curtain, and it was to keep the holiest place separated from everything else. And within the holy place, now it was a much smaller room, and uh, it was it had the uh, the Ark of the Covenant. And and the uh, golden censer. Basically, it was this it was this chest that contained uh, some manna in a golden pot, so that they wouldn't forget. And it contained Aaron's rod that budded, so they would understand and know what the priesthood was really all about. And then it had the Ten Commandments, which you know was a revelation of who God is and how how we are to live here, so that we could get along with each other. And so all of that was in the, the holy place, and the only one that could go in the holy place was the high priest, and he'd go in once a year, but he couldn't go in without this elaborate ceremony and, you know, killing animals, putting blood and doing all that, and then he had to go in and do everything just right, and, uh, and he made atonement for the entire nation of Israel and for himself. And so I think it's pretty interesting, though, that the Ark of the Covenant is, you know, it contains like the, the essence of God, I guess, you know, that, because he said, I'm going to dwell among you. I'm going to be there. And this is where I was. And, and on top of the ark of the chest was this mercy seat, which it was a lid, but it had these uh, cherubim over it, and it had these wings spread out. And, and it really, it's about showing us how all this stuff works in the heavenly realm, how all this stuff works in the spiritual realm. You know, we, we don't we can't see heaven, but when we, when we see things that God said, build this and make it, make sure you build it just like the pattern that you saw in heaven, then we understand that that's the way it really is. And so in heaven, there are cherubim. And when people are coming to the throne of God, I mean, they're coming and there's all this smoke and incense and these voices are praising God and the 24 elders are throwing their crowns down and falling before him. And there's all this worship going on. The terror are flying around. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And all that's going on all the time. The Lord wants us to know that that's what, that's what it's like. And when we begin to see how it is in heaven, then maybe we can see differently about how it's supposed to be here on earth. Because Jesus said, this is how y'all pray. My will be done in her earth like it is in heaven. And so God shows us all this so that we can understand how, how it's supposed to be and we can know how to relate to him and all that he's trying to work in our lives. Now, you can't really enter into God's presence without worship. And uh, it's, it's the same way in heaven. It's the same way here. It's always been that way. The, the form of worship may have changed a little bit. It used to, worship was killing an animal and, uh, you know, crawling around your face and, you know, being, you know, bowed before the Lord, showing that you were humbling yourself. You know, now we don't do that sort of thing so much. Maybe we ought to, but we don't. You know, well, I'm not saying I kill animals and spread blood everywhere, but we ought to be willing to humble ourselves and prostrate ourselves before the Lord. But 
But I think we understand now that we don't have to be afraid of God. Because that holy place that only the high priest could go into, Jesus fixed all that for us. And he, when he died, you know, when he gave up his spirit, that veil, that curtain, tore in half, symbolizing that we now have free access into the holiest of holies we can enter in. And I love that song that we sang about entering into the holy of holies because that's, that is just exactly what's going on. When we come and we begin to worship, that's what we're doing. We are entering into God's presence. And we're not entering in with our boots shaking and our hands trembling and, you know, wondering if I'm going to get struck dead. We're entering with confidence and boldness because we know he's invited us in. And we know that we've been covered by the blood of the Lamb. And we know that it's okay to come out of the presence of God because he wants to have that relationship with us. It's a pretty great thing that he's done. Now, all these materials, I'm, I just want to talk about a few of them and, and uh, just make a couple of quick points. The... Uh, the wood that was used in multiple areas, you know, wood speaks of, of nature, natural stuff. Nothing really holy about wood. It's just, it's just wood. And so the Ark of the Covenant, God had to make it with uh, these rings so that they could be carried. And they had these poles made out of acacia wood, and they slide those poles in, and then they could pick it up and carry it. They, didn't, they couldn't touch the Ark with their hands, but they could slide that, that pole down beside it. And then four priests or six priests, however many it was, they would carry that. And it was interesting because God wanted people to carry his presence. You know, he didn't want an animal to do it. Remember what happened when David was trying to move the ark and put it on an ox cart and it stumbled and um, it got a restep and kind of steady it. And, you know, it was a bad move. <laughs> Should let God take care of his own business. <laughs> God doesn't really need our help like that sort of thing. Um, but God uses natural things and he sanctifies them and he uses them in his kingdom for his purposes. The bronze speaks about sanctification and testing. There are all kinds of things that are made out of bronze in the tabernacle. A lot of the hooks and a lot of the, the different ornaments. And they had all kinds of utensils that they dipped water and sprinkled blood and cut up animals and did all that stuff. Uh, silver uh, is a, a metal that speaks about worth and refining. You know, it talks about us being refined as silver. And there was a lot of things in the tabernacle and the utensils that were made of silver. Gold speaks of purity and holiness and the, and the very deity of God. And all the stuff in the, in the inner part was all covered with gold. And most of the stuff on the outside, except for the, in the uh, outer court. And then there were stones. There were precious and beautiful stones and, uh, and I think that's why, you know, they had the, the priests had these ephods and they had these stones on them and it represented the 12 tribes of Israel and each one was a different color. And when he went in there and did his ministering, he was representing the whole nation. And it was like, it was like he was going in and praying for every person um, by having those stones on his chest. He was carrying them on his chest all the time. But God wants us to also realize that, that we are like precious stones to him. You know, I mean, that's the way he looks at us. Each one of us are like a precious, valuable stone. And so some of us uh, probably think of ourselves as diamonds. Some of us probably think of ourselves as just plain old limestone rocks, you know. But, uh, but God wants us to look at ourselves and realize that whatever we are in his sight, we're precious and we're beautiful. 
And there's no reason to compare, look at someone else and say, well, I think it's me, Diamond, I'm just an old rock. You know, that's not the way God wants us to do this. He wants us to realize that he views us as all worthy and acceptable in the blood. He wants us to come freely to him, not come ashamed or beating ourselves. And, and, uh, but he wants us to, to recognize that he accepts us. We are acceptable in him. He has made us worthy. They have a lot of um, a fabric. They have all kinds of uh, different animal skins. They have these badger skins, and they were they were used because they had a lot of strength and durability. They were tough. They also had a lot of ram skins, and they would dye these skins different colors, and then they would they would embroider or do things on them. And, and the embroidering was uh, it was to make pictures so we could see what what all this looks like. That in the in the ceiling of the inner inner court. They had embroidered cherubims and things on the ceiling. So the priest would go in and look up and say, yeah, that's the very heavens I'm looking at. That's what it is. That's what it's like in heaven. God wants us to understand how all this works. He doesn't want us to walk around in, in darkness and just totally without a clue. He wants us to understand that the heavens and the heavenly activities are real. And we can look forward to that. So the linens that the priests wore, uh, you know, they had this elaborate routine. They had to wash and put on these uh, linen undergarments, you know, and all this stuff. And it was because they were supposed to be clean and holy before the Lord. It was a way of, of them dressing in righteousness. But now we, we dress in righteousness when we accept Jesus, right? He clothes us in righteousness. We don't have to put on clean garments. He puts his robe of righteousness over us. He covers us. And then um, there were all kinds of colors used, and uh, I think the colors speak of all kinds of spiritual, natural revelations that that are meant for us to to understand. I think most of the time, if you're like me, you just read them and don't pay much attention to them. But you know, there's purple and blue and red and white and gold and silver and bronze and all those colors, and they all mean different things. But uh, purple generally refers to glory and majesty and royalty. And there were a lot of purple things in the tabernacle. And God wanted us to understand that he is majestic and it is royalty. And when we come into that place, we should feel like it's okay for us to come into the presence of royalty because we are his children. We are royalty also. We just don't need to get the big head over it. You know, you got to be careful about that. There's always, there's always two sides to it. So he wants us to understand who we are, and yet he wants us to stay humble that we are just made from dust. And we'll keep that in mind. It works really well. Uh, blue represents heaven, usually. The red represents blood or sacrifice, and especially Jesus being the, the Lamb of God. White represents purity and holiness. Gold represents... Uh, godliness or purification, great value. Silver is again is refining or pure or great worth. And bronze represents testing or, or being tested. You know those things. The whole tabernacle was built with all that stuff, and God wants us to understand that that every bit of that is part of the experience. You know it's not going to all be perfect. Life is filled with uncertainties. Life is filled with challenges, difficulties. There are things that come along 
that we wouldn't have really asked for. Stuff happens. And so that's why we see the brass and the bronze. That's why we see the gold and the silver. That's why we see the red, because we know we can be redeemed. We can have redemption by the blood of the Lamb. There's a hope in Christ that we don't have to just go along our same old way like we've always done and get the same old bunch of blobby stuff that we've always gotten. God wants to give us, he wants to give us new. He wants to make all things new. Remember in the, in the verse we read in Revelation? He made all things new. And that's what Paul said. He said, anyone that's in Christ is a new creation. Yeah. All of those that have passed away, he's making all things new. Yeah. So uh, we're going to we're gonna wrap up and we're going to sing another song and worship. And I just want to encourage you as, uh, as we sing, this is an opportunity for you at home to, uh, to just join in. Let God speak to you. Let God touch you, change you. If you have a need physically, ask him to heal you. If you have, um, if you have any other kind of need, just, just call the Lord because he is inviting us to come. He's not, Bible says, the word that he says to us, it's not so far away. It's not across the ocean or down in hell or up in heaven. It's right there near us, right there in and near our mouth and our heart. God wants us to be easy for us. He wants us to be able to come to him and experience all that he has for us. He's got all these wonderful promises. He just wants to reach out and take them. Amen. Amen.